0: Daniel chapter 1.
1: The king ordered Ashvanaz the eunuch, serving as his chief officer, to bring into the palace from the people of Israel some of royal or noble descent. They were to be boys without physical defect, handsome in appearance, versed in all kinds of wisdom, quick to learn, discerning, and having the capacity to serve in the king's palace and he was to teach them the language and literature of the Kashtim. The king assigned them a daily portion of his own food and the wine he drank, and they were to be cared for in this way for three years. At the end of this time, they were to become the king's attendants. Among these from the people of Yehuda, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officer gave them other names, to Daniel he gave the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Mishkah, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. So he asked the chief officer to be excused from defiling himself. God caused the chief officer to be kind and sympathetic toward Daniel. However, the chief officer said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. After all, he has given you an allowance of food and drink. So if he were to see you boys looking worse than the others your age, you would be putting my head in danger from the king. Then Danielle said to the guard, whom the chief officer had put in charge of Danielle, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please try and experiment on your servants. For ten days, have them give us only vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then see how we look and compare us with how the boys who eat the king's food look and deal with your servants according to what you see. He agreed to do what they had asked and gave them a 10-day test. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the boys who were eating the king's food. So the guard took away their food and the wine they were supposed to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four boys, God had given knowledge and skill in every aspect of learning and wisdom. Moreover, Daniel could understand all kinds of visions and dreams. When the, king, when the time the king had set for them to, pre- to be presented came, the chief officer presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And when the king spoke with them, none was found among all of them to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in all matters, requiring wisdom and understanding, whenever the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and exorcists in his entire kingdom. So Daniel remained there until the first year of King Koresh.
0: Thank you, Judy. You know, sometimes you get the feeling that um, it's a favorite metaphor that sometimes people like and, and sometimes they cringe. I, I, I see uh, myself sometimes as a chicken on a spit um, that uh, the Almighty sees fit to apply additional heat in areas where the, uh, the, this chicken is not fully done. Um, and it's not altogether comfortable However, at the end of the mini process, I'm able to step back and and see the work of God and say, okay, Lord, uh, that really wasn't comfortable, but thank you for the end result. And uh, I've been experiencing one of these uh, the last couple of months. Um, My uh, speedometer is going to turn uh, over to 65 uh, in February. And um, as you may know, thank you, thank you. As you may know, uh, yes, we're old folks here, some of us. Uh, As you may know, um, you have to uh, tangle—I mean, uh, interact—with the uh, with the government in order to get the Medicare, in order to get uh, insurance. In my case, no Medicare, no medical insurance, which is a bit problematic. Uh, I'm diabetic, etc. So I need the the good drugs. Um, so we applied. That was in November, according to what's been laid down. And uh, as you might suspect, there was uh, there was no response. And so um, the wife ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. I mean, she was a little concerned. And uh, so I went down to Social Security um, and sat for a couple of hours and uh, interacted with one gentleman. And he assured me that in a couple of weeks, I'll have a Medicare card. Well, as you can imagine, two weeks came and went, and there was no Medicare card Um, So it was time to get a little bit more nervous and uh, go again and see if we can get some sort of uh, glacial movement uh, on the part of the uh, dear folks. And uh, I happened to go to the wrong one, so they said I really need to go to to the right one. I had initially applied, still no response. And... um, then time is uh, marching on and uh i again went and uh at that point uh i had this bright flash that maybe i needed to pray you know you know how it is uh the children of israel were oppressed during the time of the, of the judges And um, after 40 years of being oppressed, they cried out to God. And the Lord, of course, heard and answered. So I I sometimes feel like that, uh, that there are some areas in my life where God has gone with me over and over again. And I get it. I understand it. Uh, But then there are other areas in this chicken that still needs to be um, worked on. And so I came... Uh, again, to this office, and as I was preparing to engage with another officer, um, Social Security officer, uh, the scripture came to mind from Proverbs 21 1. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and he moves it like a man moves the watercourse, which simply means that God is in control even in things relating to the government. That was a scripture that had become very personal to me 20 years ago when we were going through issues with our daughter. So I was praying that, and then all of a sudden things began to move a little bit. Uh, And I was told I needed to come back the next day with my passport. I came back the next day and sat in front of somebody, another individual who looked at me and uh, was fiddling with the computer, and he said to me, "Uh, you are a resident alien. And I said to him, no. I've been a US citizen for 40 years. I became a US citizen back in my days as a college boy. And he checked, lo and behold, apparently the Department of Naturalization Uh, didn't quite communicate to the social security people so that they really didn't know which was which so he dealt with that and um, and so at this point I am waiting (laughs) but at this point I'm waiting by faith Because, because the Lord took the chicken and put a little bit of extra heat on it and and I, I, realized, I realized as I often have come to realize that our difficulties are not about our difficulties. Now let, me, let me rephrase that because I know it makes absolutely no sense. Our difficulties are not about our difficulties. Our difficulties are, uh, provide an opportunity for the Almighty to, to work on us. And no, it's not real comfortable. But um, when when we go through a crisis, what what is our inclination? Our inclination is to yell at God and say, "God, get me out of here!" And the response that we get from the Almighty is, "In my time." Which, of course, we absolutely loathe that response. And at some point, we come to realize that our difficulties provide God an opportunity to work more fully, more deeply in our life. In other words, that He custom designs these difficult situations in order to get our attention, in order to teach us additional lessons in faith, so that when crises do come, We don't push the panning button and freak. But rather we learn to interact with God and say, Okay, Lord, um, you have a plan. You're doing something here. I'm not quite sure what it is. I don't particularly care for it. But I know that what will come out of it is not just my need for relief from the problem, but rather the fact that you will bring about greater degree of strength and maturity in me, and I want that, um, Peter tells us in chapter 5, 1 uh, Peter, that after you have suffered a little, the Lord will, will equip and strengthen and establish you, and you feel like saying, okay Lord, after you have suffered a little, what does little mean? Oh, that lovely music could we uh d- do something to um, and so what we find here, and this is of course a very familiar passage you know we've um if you've been around and read scripture to any extent you you've heard different stories of daniel, but you know what what really spoke to me as I came in for a closer pass was the fact that there are all kinds of lessons that we don't normally see. So I want to pause for a minute and ask that you join and and pray with me for a clearer understanding of what God may have to say to us. Father God, we thank you for this timeless lessons that you give us through the life of Daniel, Joseph and others and we pray, Lord, That your Ruach, your spirit, would make the connection for us. That we will discern and understand, Lord, what it is that you're doing in our life and how you want us to apply the lessons from your word. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So, first of all, Daniel, uh, we're told that he was a young man. the Hebrew word, Yeled, literally means a child, which we don't know exactly how old he, he is at this point, but he is a young teenager. And from what we know, uh, earlier in this chapter, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, he and the other, the other three hombres um, were part of royalty and nobility. So that's on one hand. On the other hand, uh, as you read the the stories in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you see that Daniel grew up in an environment that was toxic. It was toxic in lots of ways. It was toxic um, society, societally. Uh, there was a lot of bloodshed going on. People were being, being killed left, right, and center. Um, it was toxic spiritually. Idol worship flourished um, during those uh, those days uh, in which Daniel grew up. Uh, as you read particularly in the story of Manasseh, you see how awful, absolutely awful it was. So somehow Daniel grows up and flourishes in the midst of this toxic swamp. And... Uh, To make things worse, Jerusalem and Judah are having this pre-invasion jitters because they know that the Babylonians are about to come and eventually uh, the Babylonians surround Jerusalem. And if you can imagine what a siege is like when the city is surrounded and they see to it that you don't get a whole lot of food and water, eventually... um, They surrender and the Babylonians uh, haul off the king and a number of the cream of the crop of the nobility um, off to Babylon. Now, just to give you a little bit of reality here, uh, Babylon was approximately 1,200 miles from Jerusalem. And we're not talking about getting in your Learjet and flying from Jerusalem to Babylon. We're talking about probably a month of traveling through some very intense landscape um, being hauled by people who are basically your enemies. And then you come to the land of your enemies and... You don't have the welcoming committee with punch and cookies. Um, They despised the Hebrews, and the feeling was mutual. And so at this point, we don't know exactly how long it takes, but there's a process in which um, the officials in the court determine who is going to be uh, selected to be the the next generation of court officials. Um, That was something apparently Nebuchadnezzar did. So we don't know exactly what that looked like. I mean, did they give them uh, an ACT or SAT or some kind of standardized test? They somehow evaluated them, and at the end of that time, they select Daniel and his three buddies. Now, Hebrew... You see Hebrew from time to time. Perhaps some of us speak it. Uh, you have some idea of what proto or early Hebrew might have looked like. The Babylonian language was totally different. It was based on cuneiform. And just for grins, I wanted to show you a picture of what that looked like. So uh, it's that, folks, is cuneiform. Which is the language- which is the alphabet that was used by the Babylonians now uh our our dear sister Elaine could sit down for breakfast with a cup of coffee and read this stuff um but for me um it it looks like a bunch of squiggles, and let's have the yeah and and that's how you do it. You take a clay tablet and the sta- the stylus. And you would make these wiggles, and that would be the language of commerce. It would be the language of literature, and um, the language of communication. Now, again, understand that okay, we can have the lights off. Again, understand that um, Daniel and his buddies are are under pressure. Think of what it would be like if someone came and hauled you from your home, your family, and brings and brought you to a strange land, a land of your enemies. And understand, it's not just a land of the enemies; it's a land of your enemies' gods. Um, part of the education that they received involved magic, mysticism, astrology, and divination. Something that the Torah explicitly forbade. Uh and and, and we know that Babylon was a um, very sophisticated place. Um it was a pla it it was a, a society that developed uh, astronomy and mathematics and so on, but all of that was based on their need to know and be able to discern the future. Um what we would consider occultic and yet somehow God places Daniel in the midst of all this stuff and somehow God gives Daniel the smarts more than he had before to be able to flourish in the midst of this stuff now at least for me I can't wrap my arms around that You know, because if God were to put me in a place where I would have to learn magic and astrology and so on, I I would have a vigorous discussion with the Almighty and say to him, your book, your good book says that we're not supposed to do this. In any event, um, Daniel becomes, uh, Daniel and his buddies become expert and... um, and they're being raised by by these Babylonian officials. Now, part of the process was that they were given new names. And by the way, remember that a name is not just a name. So you have Daniel being given the name of Belteshazzar, which means may Baal, uh, the papa god, protect his life. And the same was true of the other buddies that were given new identities so again we're seeing facts on the ground we're seeing three young guys being ripped out from their environment, from their family from their uh, spiritual mooring brought 1200 miles to a place of godless occultism those are the facts on the ground and what we need to remember is that as is true with Daniel it is true with us that yes, there are facts on the ground that we have to deal with otherwise, you know, we would be taken and locked up in some institution so yes, we have to deal with the facts on the ground but reality for us who have a living relationship with God means that we know that beyond the facts on the ground are invisible facts that determine what takes place here on this earth. And I wanted to to give you an example. And by the way, some of this um, I uh, borrowed from Rabbi David who gave a sermon on Daniel 1 last year. We regularly steal from each other. So, in chapter 1, we see three statements about God that make it very clear that God is actively, sovereignly involved in what's going on in Daniel's life. Uh, in in verse, verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. That liter- literally means that Nebuchadnezzar would not have been able to take control of Jerusalem unless God gave him the key and the permission to come and take control of the city, his city. Um, There are a couple of other places that use the word forgive, Natan, verse 9, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. In other words, the uh, official who was in charge of their education and, and their feeding and so on um, was favorable to Daniel's proposal. And we'll get into Daniel's proposal in just a minute. Then verse 17, to these four young men, fr- God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. Again, the same kind of thing. God gave them which meant that they were equipped and able to do what God called them to do. So, in any given situation, we tend to view it from a God-less perspective. What do I mean by that? In other words, I'm going through stuff. I have to figure out how to fix the stuff. And somehow, maybe God will put a little bit of uh, pixie dust And bless me and get me through the stuff. But for the most part, God is out of the picture. And maybe the rest of you are intensely more spiritual. Maybe you invite God into the process from day one. Probably not. And so, we don't have all the details about Daniel. But but somehow we know that in the middle of this difficult, toxic environment, Daniel is able to, to prosper. Why? Because God is intensely and personally involved in the process. And by the way, of all the youth in Jerusalem, it just so happened that Daniel and his three buddies were selected pure um, pure coincidence of course and so we find that God blesses the three youths who not only have the right stuff but God gives them additional right stuff and so we find that these youths have all kinds of wisdom all kinds of smarts. Um, we see that there are four Hebrew words for wisdom used in reference to to these guys verse three and, and four w- we see that um, they they were quick and handsome in every kind of learning well informed and quick to understand, etc. Why was their appearance such a big deal? Well, think of, think of it. Especially in those days, if someone looked well and attractive, that was a sign that they were blessed by the gods. And uh, what you see here, in a sense, on the spiritual plane, is, is a battle between the God of Israel and the so-called gods of Babylon. So God is involved somehow, okay? And then Daniel is about to be given the um, five-star cuisine of the king, and uh, he has a problem with that. Now, why why was the king's fare such a problem for it, for Daniel? Well, of course, everybody n- jumps to the uh, notion that the king's food was not kosher. Duh, of course not. Uh, We don't know what kind of porcine elements came into it. Um, And probably the animals were not prepared according to the biblical, uh, the Torah instruction of getting rid of the blood. So, yeah, there's that. However, what you may or may not know is that uh, the first portion was always given to the idols it's an issue by the way that you see in in the new testament first corinthians chapter 10 what do you do when food is given to the idols and by the way i was rabbi david was telling me that in india that's a very live issue you know when you go to the market do you buy the food there if you don't know that if you know that the food was given to Krishna and Vishnu and so on and so forth Daniel is determined again remember we're talking about someone in their late teens Um, who's got got the character who's got the character godly character to stand up and say no I will not do this now remember that making that kind of statement was basically a death wish. If you stated that you didn't want the king's fare, you're basically saying, well, okay, do whatever, kill me. Um, Because in those days, disobeying the king uh, meant that your head was separated from your neck real quickly. Daniel did not want to Um, pollute himself and it's hard for us to get our arms around the fact that there are things in our life that pollute us Uh, it may not be food it may be what we watch Uh, we are surrounded folks by a society that is very defiling I don't think I need to spell that out uh, you get on the internet to answer your your mail or, or you, you do a Google search and all kinds of stuff comes flying at you that is not exactly what I would call kosher. And um, you have to be prepared for the fact, uh, for a commitment that says, I will not pollute myself. and it's not just a negative thing it's it's a pod- positive thing because you have a relationship with god that nourishes you and because of that you're saying no who i am in god and what i get from god is more important to me than than being polluted by this stuff daniel makes that decision his three buddies join him and they're vindicated They're vindicated. Or actually, what is taking place with them is vindicated. This is something that sometimes we want, you know, when we get into difficulties, we want God to vindicate us, to come down and say, Chaim is right, or Barry is right on the money here. Um, It's tempting, but the issue really isn't for us to be vindicated. The issue is for God's work in us to be vindicated. You see the difference? And so God vindicates what's taking place with him. Um, the official was favorable to allow the test. Uh, Daniel basically says, uh, 10 days, um, let us eat veggies and, wa- and and drink water, none of the king's stuff. And uh, the official protests and says do you really want me to be killed he eventually says yes (laughs) not yeses in you want me to be killed (laughs) but he says yes to Daniel's proposal the test is successful Uh, the other guys have their high calorie intake and yet Daniel and his buddies look better than the other guys the the Uh, presumably the non-Hebrew. And even more is the fact that they are brilliant in the study of the Babylonian culture and the court ethics and, and all of that. God vindicates them at each point. And this is something we want to grab on to and remember that if we are following the path that the Lord has laid out for us, he will vindicate it. He will vindicate what's taking place. Whether we have doubts, whether people who are naysayers look at us and say, you're full of beans. But if, if we are endeavoring to follow the path that God has prepared for us, he will see to it that it is vindicated. He's obliged if it's from him. That's what's taking place here. You see that Daniel understands the need not only to be under God's authority but also to be under the authority of the official. He doesn't come to the official and and lambasts him. He is very respectful. And he understands that he is under human authority as well as, first and foremost, under God's authority. And this is a wonderful example we see here in Daniel's story. And we sometimes forget because we think I'm under God's authority. That means I don't need to be under human authority. And I see that over and over and over and over again with folks who come in and who have the perspective of the phone rings, it's God on the other line, I hear, I do it, end of story. Okay. Um, what about the involvement of other people in your life? And reality is, if we understand God's authority, we will understand humans human authority. If we are truly under God's authority, we will understand how that in submitting to human authority, God will see to it that our life, our situation is vindicated. So at the end of the time, three years, the king, uh, they're brought before the king, they um, are examined, and the king is impressed. He is... Hugely impressed by, by the four Hebrews. Now, again, remember, folks, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who came and, and attacked Jerusalem, conquered it, hauled off a bunch of the uh, precious instruments of the temple, brought it to, his, to, to the temple of his God. Uh, God gave these guys favor. And in the arena of our life, when we run into difficulties, into crises, instead of our wanting to take the fear road, we have to take the same kind of road that this young fellow and his three buddies took. Instead of saying, God, get me out of here, we want to step back and say, okay, God, you have a plan. You're in control. You have the power to bring your plan into fullness, into effect. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you to make that happen. And yes, I have a part. However, my part is secondary to what is your part. And we learn to do that because we realize that God is designs these situations so that our lives are properly invested in the kingdom of God. Earlier I referred to Mike Aragon's story which was profoundly moving but at some point Michelle in particular realized that the issue wasn't just Mike's healing, but that the issue was what God wanted to communicate and accomplish in their life. So in difficult circumstances, our go-to position is always fix the situation, God, I need relief now. And over a period of time, as we learn to become more mature as we learn to see things from God's perspective, as we learn to trust Him because we know He loves us and He is sovereign, He is in control, we know that sooner or later He will bring things into alignment, into compliance with His will. So we're able to step back and say, okay God, you've got things covered. Now, what is the bigger story that is taking place here what do you want to do what are you trying to teach me what things do you want to add to my life or to other people's lives and we learn to put that on, on the screen and allow the crises the difficulties to be in the corner where they really need to be and then see how God brings about his answers to a, a particular situation Instead of being demoralized instead of being hopeless and and God knows in our culture with everything that's flying uh the temptation to become passive and and to become on a to go on a defensive is very much there you know you hear everything that's going on about about ISIS, you you hear about people going crazy in this country and you want to say God beam me up already instantly I want out of here forgetting one basic reality like Daniel folks who learned to depend on God, who learned to see God at work and because of that Daniel's life proved to be a Tremendous source of change in the society around him on high levels. We have to be able to say, Okay, God, difficult circumstance, yes. Now, what is it that you want to accomplish? I don't want to be on the defensive. Why? Because the kingdom of God always has to advance. The kingdom of God always has to advance. God is always on the move, folks. He is always at work, often invisibly and sometimes visibly. And as we will be going through Daniel chapters uh, 2 through 6, we'll be seeing how all this is played out. But again, realize that all that began in a simple decision on Daniel's part. I will not be defiled. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to honor God in this very, very, very difficult situation. And like Daniel, then we step back and say, okay, God, you have something good or to be radical, you have something marvelous here. And I'm going to trust you that you will bring it about. First of all, for your honor, Because that's always for us who have a living relationship with God, that's always our ultimate goal, is not to put ourselves on a pedestal and expand our kingdom. Our goal is always to see to it that the kingdom of God expands and that God receives the honor and the glory. And through all these issues, through all these challenges, through all these difficulties, then we learn to step back and say, okay, God, thank you for how you're working here. And then you learn to engage and be a partner in the work of the kingdom of God together with God Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you that you're in control. We thank you, Lord, that you're well aware of our circumstances, that you're well aware of the society in which we live. You're well aware of our sin, our weakness, crises, And we thank you, Lord, that you transcend all of that. We honor you, Lord God, because you are greater than any and all of these things. And so, Lord, we we ask, Lord God, for the, the special vision, the ability, Lord God, to see how it is that you're at work and to discern how it is that you want us to engage and participate in your work. We pray, Lord God, for holy chutzpah. Lord God, boldness. Lord, not to be on the defensive, not to be passive, but rather, Lord God, to have a perspective that is trusting of your power. Give us, Lord God, the eyes of faith. Replace the fear of... with robust faith. And Lord God, teach us how to be partners with you in the work of your kingdom during this day and age. We ask all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.